Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. In today's message, Andy McGowan teaches through Romans 8, 26 through 30 on the spirit of intercession. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Kenosha Church. How's everybody doing? That's pretty good. That's pretty good for a little after 9, 25 minutes after 9 in the morning. And it is good to be back here. And we are in our last couple weeks of Empires Volume 2. This is our study in Romans. But no fear, if you're loving Romans, it will come back in the future. We'll have a Volume 3. And it's going to get crazy. We're going to talk about Israel. We're going to talk about government. We're going to talk about a bunch of uh, controversial things because that's what Paul talks about. So anyway, we get to look forward to that in uh, the next volumes. Um, you're going to want to make sure that you have your Bible with you today because not all the texts are on the screen. But if you're new, we want you to know that that's why we put them on the screen for you or online for the lower thirds uh, just so that you can follow along. But there are some texts today that are not on the screen. So if you're new, you can just kind of listen. But uh, if you're uh, here uh, every week or you call us your home, make sure you have your Bible app or your physical Bible open this morning. You're going to want that. By the way, I just wanted to say before we get going, uh, Josh mentioned the baptism at the lake. Make sure you put that on your calendar Wednesday night, uh, August the 25th. It is a worship night too. So we're going to worship at the lake. We're going to see people get baptized. It's a night we want to see the entire church family come out and worship. And it is right around the time of one year when our city went into chaos. And so we just want to just thank God uh, for his mercies over the city. And it's not just getting through this last year, but we believe that God is taking us as followers of Christ to be on the leading edge of seeing this city come to know Jesus Christ. Amen. And so uh, we're excited about that. Make sure you put that on your calendar. All right. So we are going to continue in Romans, the greatest chapter, they say. If there is a greatest chapter, this, this is it, of, of what the, all the theologians say, apparently. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're right back there again. Uh, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. And again, Romans chapter 8 is so dense. It is so filled with the promises of God. We have to do a short review because it is not, it would be to do injustice to this great chapter just to blow right through it. So let's just take a little review of what we've been doing the last few weeks. So if you're new, you get caught right back up. But if you're been here each and every week, you can just relish in the awesome promises that God has for us. The first thing that we notice is our justification. When you place your faith and trust in Christ alone, you are declared not guilty of your sins, past, present, and future. And as a result, we have the amazing promise, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemnation, if you're a follower of Christ, that is not from God. Why? Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you receive Christ, you are made new. You are not, your sins don't define you. They're not counted against you. But you're also, you're not to stay the same. Right? I believe that many people are like, okay, I'll receive Jesus, but they want to live the life that they've always lived. It's impossible. Why? Because when you receive Jesus Christ as Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit to indwell in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Romans 8, 11. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through His Spirit who lives in you. Did you get that? The same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead comes to indwell and live in you. It's called the indwelling of the spirit. Every person that places their faith and trust in Christ alone is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Now don't miss this. We talked about this two weeks ago. Just because you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to ask the Holy Spirit to fill you so that you can be overwhelmed by his presence, overwhelmed by his initiatives, and most importantly that you yield to everything the Spirit is doing in and throughout your life. The promises keep coming in Romans 8. When you place your personal faith and trust in Christ, you not only are saved, you not only receive the Spirit, you not only have the opportunity to be filled with the Spirit, but you are adopted in the family of God. You become sons and daughters of the King. I mean, isn't this exciting, right? Uh, just a transformation that, that God brings in you. Romans chapter 8, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but instead you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Uh, that's literally a relationship like Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Isn't that exciting? Uh, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you are a favored son and daughter of the king. Church, is this awesome or what, right? 
Is this something that we can just praise Jesus and that he's worthy of our highest praise, right? But it keeps on going because you are a favored son and daughter of the king when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. That means that you can get through this life no matter what life throws at you. Last week, Tom talked about having a spirit of hope. Romans 8, 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. Verse 18, we see that this groaning that we have, the sufferings that we have is as a result of living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We have imperfect bodies. Uh, we are groaning, right? But it's not just our hearts that are growing. We notice in verse 22, the groaning is universal. It is all throughout the created universe. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with labor pains until now. This pain's temporary. And when you have the Spirit of God, uh, as, 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 Tom, as Tom made very clear last week, that uh, you have a function to work through your pain. When you're in pain, let your pain lead to what, church? What did he say last week? Let your pain lead to prayer. And that's what we're going to unpack further this week as we talk about the spirit of intercession. Man, I, I'm going to tell you, God is with you. No matter what your groanings, no matter what your pains, no matter what you're going through or circumstances you're going through, if you're a child of God, he's got you. He's got you. And if you're not a child of God, guess what? He'll receive you. You just got to receive him, all right? Now, let me ask you this question as we unpack this further this morning. How many uh, are superstitious, all right? I know some Christians are like, I can't be. That's not so wrong. No, no, no. How many of you have some superstitious tendencies, right? You know, some of the benign ones. And like, some of you are not raising your hand because you're like, nope, nope, not me. All right, so how many, you know, people are superstitious typically to avoid certain things and to beckon good luck, right? That's why they do it. Uh, there are some people that will not stay on the 13th floor or on a hotel or they'll ride in the 13th row on airplanes. Now, some hotels and airplanes don't have the 13th row or the 13th floor, but some people are like, uh-uh, not staying there on the 13th floor, right? Some of you are that way. I know it. Some of you won't walk underneath the ladder. I was going to put a ladder up here and walk underneath it, but I was like, nah, I'm not going to do that because, you know, my luck, I'd fall off the stage, right? <laughs> Others, uh, okay, so you say you're not superstitious. Like, no, I, I'll walk under a ladder. I'll stay on the 13th floor. Okay, what do you say when someone sneezes? Bless you, right? Did you know that came from a superstitious thought that somehow maybe you're expelling a demon? And I'm like, I need to bless you because you're full of demons. Now, here's the deal. When someone sneezes today, it's not bless you. It's get away from me, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, you didn't know that you're taking part in superstition when you said bless you, right? Okay, how about our sports fans here, right? How about our sports fans? Some of you have been watching the Olympics. Uh, some of you are Bucks fans. You know, you're really enjoying uh, the Bucks win there a few weeks back. Some of you are, Pack who's the Packers fans in here, right? Packers fans? Do we have some Bears fans in the house, right? I know we do, right? Ooh, I think they won on that one, right? Anyway, my point is this. If you're a sports fan, some of you are superstitious. Why? Because you've got to wear that certain shirt that you wore when they won the Super Bowl last time. I'm going to wear this shirt because it's my lucky shirt. Well, guess what? That's a superstition, right? Whether we know it or not, we have superstitious tendencies. Some of them are in good fun, but sometimes... We literally let them draw the course of how we make decisions. And unfortunately, for many Christians, for many followers of Christ, their prayer life has been reduced down to nothing more than a superstition, right? They, they pray because they hope it's knocking on wood. They hope that somehow uh, if I repeat a certain phrase or I pray a certain way, uh, if, if, I, if I say it with a certain tone of voice, then maybe God will do it differently if I do it that way. But prayer isn't hocus-pocus, right? Prayer is powerful. We're going to talk about that. But for many of us, we don't live in the power of prayer through the Holy Spirit. We live in the hocus-pocus of prayer. Uh, for many in secular American culture, uh, they're okay with prayer, especially when tragedy strikes. Uh, you, you know the phrase, uh, when something happens, they say, my thoughts and prayers are with you. Now, some people are getting super secular, like, I'm just going to say my thoughts are with you. I don't even know what that means. Uh, but my thoughts and prayers are with you. What's that mean? It means another way of saying, I'm so sorry, right? I'm so sorry that happened, my thoughts and prayers, whether you pray for them or not. Uh, prayer has fallen on hard times even in the church. You may say thought and pray you may say you have thoughts and prayers of people and you don't pray for them. Uh, but for some of you, you've used in prayer, and I know I've used prayer before, uh, as a byword of saying no, right? As a replacement word for no, right? So if I were to say, hey, you know what? Uh, we need some people on the host team. And you're like, 
Hmm, let me pray about that. I know what your answer is, all right? I know some of you are actually like legit, like I'm gonna go to my prayer room, make sure I'm gifting's right, make sure I'm in the right spot. But for a lot of us, when we say, hmm, let me pray about that, right? Hey, do you wanna hang out this afternoon? Hmm, let me pray about that. What's the matter with me, right? <laughs> hey, you know, um, I need help, you know, walking my granny across the street. Can you help walk my granny across the street? Mm, let me pray about that, right? Like, we have reduced prayer, uh, the word, let me pray about it, to another way of saying no. Well, let, let's stop doing that. If we do that, if we find ourselves doing that, let's, let's stop doing that, right? If we say we're going to pray about it, you better get on your knees and pray about it. And listen, if you say you're going to pray for somebody, if you say my thoughts and prayers are with you, you better pray for them. And if you're going to forget about it, do as I do. This is a secret sometimes because I'm like, I don't want to say something I'm not going to do. Pray for them right in that moment, all right? Pray for them right in that moment. It's okay if you're forgetful. It's part of the fall, right? But pray for them in that moment. Let's rise up our view of prayer. Let's not make it into some spiritual or even worse yet, secular superstitious byword. Because here's the deal. If prayer has fallen on hard times, we need to reclaim what prayer is all about. Prayer is that we get access. If you're a follower of Christ, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have 24-7 access to the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who, who has come uh, to give you forgiveness of your sins, the one who knows everything that's going to happen, the one that holds everything uh, that's happening in the world in the palm of his very hands. He knows everything is all-powerful, and we have total access to him. Now, how's that? How is that for a key to the creator, right? That is not something that should just be a byword or superstition. That is power. If you're a child of God, let's reclaim it this morning. So we're in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Let's pick up how our prayers can be powerful. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Prayer is not meant to be routine. It's not meant to be superstitious. It's not meant to be something to where we get our own way. It is a privilege. It is a supernatural exercise. It's a supernatural experience where we get to talk to and more importantly listen to our creator God. We listen to and be empowered by the spirit of God how to live our life that is pleasing to God, that we can be utterly dependent on him. Because here's the deal, we are utterly dependent on him. Whether we know it or not, we are, we are so lost without him. So let's get out of the prayer rut. If some of us are in a prayer desert, let's get out of the prayer rut. And I say this this morning, just even the timeliness of this, I really believe what God's doing in this city, what he's doing in this world, what he wants to do through this church, uh, it won't happen unless we go to the throne room and we plead with the Lord God Almighty. So, let's get out of the prayer rut. Let's step into the supernatural and see things happen when we pray. Here's our main idea this morning, and we're going to unpack uh, this passage that we just read. The main idea this morning is the Spirit brings power to your prayers. If you're taking notes, the Spirit brings power to your prayers. And we're going to look at four ways that is so. He brings you strength. Uh, he gives you understanding to the words that you don't understand. Uh, he gives you vision and reminds you that you are his. The Spirit brings power to your prayers. Let's take a look at number one. Number one, if you're taking notes, when you are weak, he is strong. When you receive the power of the Spirit, when you're praying in the power of the Spirit, when you are weak, he is strong. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. Verse 26 is a connection. It's a bridge to last week's talk. The, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare to the glory that is yours in Jesus Christ. If you are in Jesus Christ, it is a guarantee that the glory that is going to be in heaven is yours. Which means the circumstances that you are facing right now are not 
what is to define your life. What defines your life is that you're born again, that you're a child of God, and that he's coming back for you to receive you, and that you are going to be entering paradise where you'll never grow tired, weary, ill. You won't experience sorrow, depression, anxiety, you name it. He is coming to reclaim you and glorify you. That is your promise no matter what you face or what you have faced. But God wants to give you strength right now. We live in the yet and not yet. We, we want the fullness of the kingdom, which will, be in, which will be inaugurated in its fullness when Jesus Christ comes back. But we live in a yet because the kingdom of God is to be lived through us and it's to be increasing as we reach people for Jesus. But we're weak. God spoke this through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 40, he said, Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow tired or weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. The young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. As we face in the now the trials and tribulations, our conduit to the hope is through prayer empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when you pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, it reminds you of the revelation that the Spirit of God breathed out in scriptures. It reminds you, it opens up your ears, it, it opens up your eyes, it, it opens up your mind to the wisdom of the Spirit, what he's doing in the here and now. Praying in the power of the Spirit is one of the greatest assurances of whose you are, which strengthens you. When you know that God is for you, not against you, it strengthens you. Even when you don't have any more mental capacity, emotional capacity, your physical strength is failing, you even feel spiritually weary. He has come to make you strong because you cannot make yourselves strong. Because without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, without praying in the power of the Spirit, you will burn out. And it is be completely honest I think the reason why we're seeing a lot of church burnout in the western church is because we've been going about prayer and the whole Christian life in our own strength maybe not even our spiritual giftedness maybe even our just our natural giftedness uh, what we know we regurgitate what we know and we can do that in our sleep we can pray and I don't know if you've ever prayed I have done this before I'm gonna admit it to you I've prayed and like when I get done praying I'm like what did I just pray Right? We can get so routine, routine that we are working out this life in our own strength. And it's a wonder why we have a little limp, right? Many churches, Christians, organizations that call themselves Christian, they can operate without God in the name of God. You got the talent, but where's the spirit? This is a dangerous place to be. Because without the Holy Spirit helping you in your weaknesses, again, it's not if, it's when you will burn out. I will say this. The reason why we've seen so many backslidden believers that are high profile, it's number one, they don't know the word of God. You can't know the voice of God throughout your life if you don't know the word of God. But secondly, a lot of these people can regurgitate scriptures as they're now atheists. Why? Because you can know something. You gotta live that something in the power of the Holy Spirit, or you will burn out. I remember uh, we went on, we used to take trips to Jamaica as youth, youth mission trips, and we can't wait for those to come back. Uh, but one of the uh, years that we went on a Jamaica mission trip, it was really hot, like extremely hot. Now, you might be thinking, Jamaica mission trip, sweet. Like, yeah, but that's a beach mission trip. I can do that. It's hardly that, right? It is, in fact, a, I think I've been to like now 30 different countries. Jamaica's the hardest one. Like I remember the last Jamaica trip I left, I'm like, I don't think I'm gonna do this one again. Because it was, and now I'm like, okay, we probably will. But it's, it's hard. You sweat, you sweat in your sleep. Uh, you, you, you do three to four uh, different services a day. It's amazing. But if you don't keep up on your fluids, you get tired, you get weak. And I'm gonna admit it, I even got a little irritable. And so there was one night, I wasn't drinking enough water, I was feeling weak, feeling sick, and everybody was so juiced to do this service that literally was going to be on the side of a road, all right? 
If it's going to be in the middle of a road, that's how you do it there. Like, you might be in a church building, you might be in the middle of the road. Well, what happens if cars go through? You step out of the way, they let them go through, and then you continue to preach. It's wild, all right? But this particular night, I was tired. I was like, man, uh, and it began to just pour. I'm like, oh, it's pouring, which means we're not going to have a service. And it was pouring, it was pouring. But I remember the team's like, you know what, let's, let's just drive to the place in faith that it won't stop raining. Well, it was, it was a solid rain, all right? And so we're driving on the bus, and I'm just going to admit it to you. It's like, man, I just hope it doesn't stop raining. All right? I just, let's just have a night off, right? But then, of course, my youth, or my students were like, I have an idea. I'm like, what? It's like, let's pray it stops raining. I'm like, oh, okay. And so they start praying. And, you know, it's not one of these, like, weather prayers. Like, Lord, we just pray that it stops raining. Rain, rain, go away. It wasn't that. It was like, Lord God Almighty, makers of the heaven and earth, you make the rain. You can cause a famine. You can stop a famine. We pray, Lord God, that the rain would stop. And I'm like, wow. And so, like, my lethargy, my, my tiredness, my irritability, I, I, it went away. I couldn't help but get caught in this wave of expectation of what God could do. And so I joined in the prayer, and we arrived at our destination. It was still pouring. But by the time we got off the bus, you know what happened? We stepped off the bus. It stopped raining. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Well, that's crazy. And, then, you know, when God does miracles, your natural mind starts to, like, explain away. Well, you know, it could have happened. You know, and the storm just passed through. Uh-uh. Someone says, look. Look above us. There is literally a hole in the clouds. You could see the flashes of lightning all around the island. But above us, and if you don't believe me, I'll point out people that are on this trip. Because this seems crazy. There is literally a hole right above us. You could see the stars in the sky. And they said, what do we do? Well, let's put the equipment up and let's start preaching. We worshiped our guts out. We preached the word of God. And people got born again. Isn't that amazing? Why? Because students said, let's go to the maker of heavens and earth. And the spirit of God took the prayers to expectation. And a hole literally opened up over us. And you want to know what happened? The minute the service was done. Oh, Lord, you were there, weren't you? The minute the service was done, we unpacked all our equipment. We put it in the bus. We sat down. And you know what happened? The minute we all got on the bus, it started to pour. Why? Because God wanted that service to happen. Because God appointed in that moment that people were going to get born again. Oh, man, that reminds me of how often I pray in the flesh. And how often we pray for things and we don't think think God can do it. We don't think God will do it. And we think like, ah, I'd just rather not God do it. But here's the deal. We got to get out of the routine of prayer. We got to allow the Holy Spirit to take us places. We will never go in our flesh in routine and superstition and tradition. Does that make sense? Because the Spirit brings power to our prayers. And when you're awake, He is strong. I wanted to give up, but the Spirit gave me strength to do what I could not do on my own or what naturally could happen, even in the atmosphere. But the Spirit changes the atmosphere, doesn't he? Verse 26, again, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That word weakness can be translated infirmities. Now, this word is in the singular, and that's really important that we realize this. Because he's not talking about that he helps us in our weaknesses, and immediately we think of like, Okay, my temptations, or I, I, oh, my weakness is anger, my weakness is, you know, coveting, or my weakness is, you know, this, that. You know, you, you, you begin to think of all your weaknesses, and that's not what he's talking about specifically. He's going to the foundation. It's in the singular. He's saying he helps us in our weakness. This is the natural condition of which we are. Without God, we are weak. And yes, because we're weak, we will have weaknesses. But he's talking about how we are naturally weak, We are weak because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And there's nothing we, do, we can do because we are weak. There's nothing that we can do to please God, but through his permissive will and power, we can. So the Spirit makes us strong. Not only physically, but mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. And this is important. Because the Spirit will make you strong. But because he makes you strong... You will never arrive at a time where you graduate from your need of the Spirit. Did you get that? The Spirit will make you strong. And when he does make you strong, this is the error that many of us will walk into. Man, that was an amazing moment. We literally prayed and there was a hole in the, in the clouds. Woo! And then you take the next two weeks off relying on the Spirit. Why? Because that was pretty awesome, right? 
You don't graduate from your need of the Spirit. It's every day. Lord, Holy Spirit, we need you. I know that you're indwelling in me. I need to yield to you. I need to be filled to the, to the brim and to the overflow of your Holy Spirit. You know, an objection I once heard in college. They were trying to explain, and I've, I've explained this in past messages. You can hear this in the Holy Spirit series. Uh, but there was a, a time uh, where I thought the things of the Spirit were in the past. And until I was at Trinity and, and I was taking Greek and my professors were challenging me, uh, like, hey, you know, you might want to be faithful to the Greek. And I realized, oh, wait, uh, the same miraculous God in the Bible is the same miraculous God today. All right. Amen. Um, but I had someone explain to me the reason why the move of the spirit occurs. Because it's, it's undeniable when you go to the third world, the spirit of God is moving in the third world. Right. Like, you hear, you hear about this. You hear, you hear even the most uh, cautious people, they say, yeah, like, Jesus is showing up in dreams to Muslims and they're giving their life to Christ. That's happening. That's not, that is one of the biggest way people are receiving Jesus in Iran right now. All right? Uh, I believe there's a book by Tom Doyle on, I'm going to get the whole book name wrong, but it's about, I think it's called Dreams and Visions by Tom Doyle. He's a missionary uh, over um, in the Middle East and he talks about that. And so... This is what, and so I would bring that objection up. It's like, you know, it's undeniable. Like, the Holy Spirit is moving in, in really powerful ways in the third world. Why is that? And the response was, well, the Spirit occurs in the third world or in less developed nations because, well, they don't have as many biblical resources or seminaries. And at first I'm like, oh, okay, what? You mean, you, and by that logic, I, I realized, wait, if that's true then there should be a constant revival here in the United States. We have more Christian radio stations. We have more seminaries. We're, put, we're pumping out all the resources and exporting them to the third world right now, right? Like, we should be in a constant state of revival. But you know what they're doing now? They're sending missionaries here. So that can't be it. That can't be it. You see, it's not just what we know. We need to live empowered by the Spirit. And we need the Spirit. We don't graduate from our need of the Holy Spirit. It's not God it's not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Seminary. Uh, it's God the Holy Spirit, right? And we need seminaries, and I went to seminary. I was helpful with it. Tom's graduating seminary, and, and, and Will's gone to, gone to Trinity. And, and so we uphold these things. They're awesome things. You, you need to know Scripture, or else you're going to walk into error. But just because you know something, just because you know something, doesn't mean that you're going to walk into that something. Not that you, you, you have faith in God of who you study. Uh, there was, I mean, I'll just be honest here. Uh, Trinity put out a stat uh, years ago when I was going, and they said literally 80% of the people that graduated with a Master of Divinity weren't staying in ministry. So it's not about knowing something. You've got to walk in that something. And you can't walk in that something in your own strength. You need the strength of the Holy Spirit. And we see a number of examples in the Bible about praying in the power of the Spirit specifically. In Ephesians, uh, to the Ephesians church, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 6.18, he says, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Not just sometimes, all the time. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. So the question is this. All right, I agree, we need, we need to pray in the Spirit. Well, how? How do you pray in the Spirit? Uh, I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. And again, we, we quote him often here because he has one of the most prolific studies in the book of Romans. And the whole really, I would say, church is indebted to uh, uh, this. He was a great English pastor, uh, an evangelist, and theologian. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones explains this. He goes, we all know what it feels uh, like to have deadness in prayer, difficulty in prayer, to be tongue-tied with nothing to say. As it were, having to force ourselves to try. Well, to the extent that is true of us, we're not praying in the Spirit. We have those moments, right? Where we're, oh, I'm going to pray, but we just can't get past ourselves, all right? God can still hear us, but God wants to take us in a spot where we're relying on him completely with full expectation. For many people, the reason prayers are falling so flat is there's no appetite for the presence of God. Now, yes, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all, all times. But being aware of the presence of God, his manifest presence in your life, we have no appetite for that. And so when we hit the hardest moments in life, we feel alone, we give up, we stop praying, and we try to push past this desert of prayerlessness in our own power. 
We realize, you know, when you realize when you're in a desert, sometimes like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try praying. Man, that, those are the hardest prayers when you're in the desert and you start praying again. Because you realize, I, I need to talk to God, but maybe you don't desire talking to God. Maybe you don't desire this, but you know you should do it. And so what a lot of people try to do to get back in the motion of prayer is they go to God with this pre-planned prayer with the lofty words, God, my thine heart, thy thouest, mayest God. Uh, and, and you just, you, you, you did it, you went with it, but you just, it felt flat, right? Well, to get in that secret spot of prayer and the power of the Spirit, it is not going to get there by your own strength. Praying in the flesh pushes prayers forward in your strength, but to pray in the power of the Spirit is to be caught up in the glory of who God is. The revelations of his promises and the beauty of his voice, making theology, that is the study of God, come alive in real, tangible, and prophetic ways. So how? Lloyd-Jones says this. To pray in the power of the Spirit, we must first admit our inability in our flesh to pray as we ought. It's admitting, God, I've been in a desert. God, the circumstances are eating me alive. And I know what to pray. I know what scriptures to quote. And you know what happens? If I just go through the motions, I'm going to walk right out of this prayer and not be changed. So I need to do this differently. I need you. God, I don't, want to des- I don't desire you, but help me desire you. Holy Spirit, fill me. And I'm not going anywhere until you fill me. I'm not going anywhere until I, am, I realize your glory and I realize your, your presence. And it's in that waiting that most of us give up. We treat waiting for God to show up in our prayers like we're sitting at the DMV or the doctor's office, right? We think of everywhere else we want to be, right? We start thinking of things that we don't want to think about. It's like, oh, that project at home I haven't done for 15 years. Yeah, how should I do that? No, you're supposed to be waiting on God right now. But, I, but we have this project in the basement, you know? That, 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 that storeroom, that floor we need to, you know, paint from green to red. You know, it's like, you've been talking about that for 15 years. Yeah, but I'm thinking about it now. No, wait for the presence of God to overrule your mind at this point. To take your mind to where you cannot go naturally. This is a time to linger, rest. And receive his goodness and direction. This is the time to speak your heart. To speak every fear. Every praise. Every struggle. And as you do. Be strong. Be strong. Question is. When will you know you've gone from praying in your strength. To praying in the power of the spirit. Now I will. I've quoted this before but I love it. Wayne Grudem says this. Pray. Until you're praying. Pray. Until you're praying. Ask to be filled afresh with the Spirit and pray until you're praying. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 11, verse 11. He said, What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, thanks, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit who ask him? Let me say that again. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to ask him? If you wait and say, Lord, Lord God, Holy Spirit, fill me. He will do just that. He might not do it in a dramatic way. He could do it in a dramatic way. But the Holy Spirit is waiting. Is waiting to fill you afresh. Ask the Spirit for help. Because the Spirit brings power to your prayers. And when the Spirit, when you pray in the Spirit, it can bring times, as I said, they're amazing. It's like revival. It's moments that you will perhaps never forget. You could probably, for some of you, the first time that you were filled with the Spirit, and you realize those are moments that, that is almost like you were in heaven. For some, it's a whisper. And for some, you become very aware of your groanings. The Holy Spirit visits you. Feel the groanings of the circumstances that surround you. You know what I'm talking about. You know when you're at a moment in life, maybe at a relationship goes sour, maybe it's someone that passed on, maybe you lost a job or whatever, and, and you go before God and you just don't know what to say. But you feel it. You feel it. When you're praying in the power of the Spirit, when you're without words, He knows what you mean. 
And you're without words, he knows what you mean. Romans 8, 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groaning. The Spirit helps us, how? By interceding for you and interpreting your deep, wordless groans. And the beauty of the Spirit is he's helping you in prayer that you can go places where you can't go without him. It means that you don't have to have it all figured out. Some of us feel like we have to have this A-plus essay before the Lord. We have to have it all figured out before we go to him, and then I'll go to him. Or maybe it's a flowery poem, whatever your personality is. You can go with wordless groans. God, and he knows what you're saying. He knows what you're saying. Graham, uh, my youngest, he recently broke his arm. Yes, here's a picture of him right there. Look at him. He's all happy. Do we have, there he is. All right. Oh, that's stretched. Okay, so anyway, um, <laughs> he doesn't look like that in normal life. I, I promise he's stretched. Okay, so anyway, uh, that is, uh, sorry for online folks. Uh, anyway, so, um, but uh, the, he has a little cast there, and uh, he, this is how he broke it. I, you know, you think like we had this play set outside, you know, down the stairs. No, no, no. He was playing the sister, tripped over his sister, went to balance himself on one arm, and he had a little hairline fracture above his growth plate, which, again, with kids, you break it around your growth, growth plate, you're going to want to fix that. So they put him in a cast. They put him in a cast, and he doesn't like that. In fact, you already see him around today. He's just as smiles as he always is, but he's climbing things. He wants to play in the treehouse. He wants to go swimming, but he can't. And we were in Iowa for a few days last week, and um, um, there was a pool in the backyard we were staying, and he wanted to swim in that. He wanted to run around. He wanted, he wanted to do everything the other kids could do, and he couldn't. And you know what a four-year-old does? He begins to cry. And he cries, and then what he does is he tries to talk while he cries. And I'm like, he's like, I don't know what you're saying. And then, he's, and then he gets so worked up, it's like this. And nothing's coming out. And I'm like, I don't know what you're saying. I have no clue what you're saying. I know you're upset, but I, I don't know what you're saying. But you know who does know what he's saying? Someone said, someone said God. That's great. That's a Sunday school answer. You, you get bonus points, right? No, yes, God. He knows what he's saying. But you know who else knows what he's saying? My wife. Allison. He's like, yes. I'm like, what? Are you choking? What? 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 what, what, what you hungry? I was like, Andy, no, that's not what he wants. What? Was, he wants to go swimming right now. And he's upset that they're in the pool right now. And he, and he, he wants me to just give him a big hug right now. Wait, how do you know that, right? You moms, you got some kind of secret powers, right? You know what? When in our weakness and our brokenness, when we approach God with those sighs and groanings that we can't put into words, he knows what we're saying. That word inexpressible groaning, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Uh, the word we get inexpressible uh, is translated emotions of which words cannot express. All right? You just can't put words to them. Groaning can be translated grunts or sighs. So have you ever felt that? Can you, can you picture that when you've had those moments? When those situations in life hit you so bad, there are no words. And yet through the intercession of the Spirit, he knows what your deep groaning and sighs mean. And he can interpret them. How? Notice the word here, intercession. The word intercession means to step in the shoes of the person you're praying for. When you're not just praying for a person from afar, like, oh, God, they broke their arm, and okay. Like, and that's fine. Like, you, you, you could pray for people, and, and, and that, that's, that's acceptable. But intercession is like something a little bit different. It's actually stepping in their shoes, feeling their pain, praying on behalf as if you were them. This is how the Spirit groans. The Spirit doesn't groan. He's not without words. He knows everything. He's stepping in your shoes, taking your groans, interceding for you, praying for you, and bringing your groans to the very throne room in heaven. That's how he's doing it. Praying in the power of the Spirit is the conduit to the throne room of God. And he interprets our groans. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you are saying. You are never alone, church. Isn't that amazing? 
Now, I need to mention another way that people connect in the power of the Spirit. Uh, we mentioned that we are to pray in the Spirit of all times. Uh, there's another, another way that people pray in the power of the Spirit that Paul mentions. He mentions this in 1 Corinthians. It's with the gift of tongues. Now, depending on your background, you're like, oh, yes, tongues. And some of you are like, eh, tongues, right? Depending on, on your background or tradition. And that's why we want to keep it biblical here at Emmanuel. We're going to preach what the Bible says about this. And so uh, let's talk about tongues for a moment. Tongues comes from the word glossolalia, which means languages. So it's audible. When one speaks, prays, or sings in a tongue, it's, it is spoken, it's audible, it's heard. To, number one, build up the church in the church service. And if it's in the church service, uh, that is being public from the stage, it needs to be interpreted. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13. I'm going to read this so you can listen along. But you might want to write this passage down in your notes if you want to refer to it later. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfaithful, or unfruitful. Excuse me. What then? I will pray with my spirit... And I'll also pray with my understanding. So Paul is talking to the Corinthian church about they were abusing everything. They were getting drunk at communion, right? Uh, all, their, all their spiritual gifts was like a contest to outdo one another. You know, people were giving prophetic words like, oh, that was a good word. Listen to this word, right? It's like, my goodness. And tongues was seen as a badge of honor. Like it, it, people were trying to outdo each other in tongues. And so Paul wanted to lay out order. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 27, he, here's the order that he laid out. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or three at most should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. So uh, in the church service, uh, if they don't have interpretation, they are to just do it to themselves and to God. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently in order. So notice this. Even though there were great abuses in the Corinthian church, uh, he did not throw out tongues. Just as today, there may be great abuses that you either see on Christian TV or that you see through people that you know, perhaps, or maybe you grew up in a church tradition and there were abuses. There could be abuses on spiritual gifts, evangelism, you name it, even how people use the Bible. That doesn't mean we throw out what is true. And so he didn't throw this out, but rather he demonstrated when the church service how to use them. So why did I even bring that up? Well, it's important that I bring that up to apply that to the text that we have today. In the same way that the Spirit knows when someone is speaking in tongues what they are saying, uh, they are saying it by glossolalia, that means they're saying it out loud, the Spirit also knows what's being said through your groanings that are not audible. They are not the same. Uh, they're, they're a bit different. Groanings are, are inaudible, whereas tongues are audible. Uh, but the idea is that God understands both of them perfectly. And so the bottom line is this. God wants your heart. He wants your heart. Even if you don't know what groanings are and you're like, oh, I, don't, I need to put it into words. And some of you, you will not pray because you think like you have to be able to put them in words or nice words to present them to God. Just bring what you have. Bring your heart. He wants your heart in spirit and truth. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to, like, start groaning in church. All right, everybody, start groaning. That's, that's, that's force. No. Uh, it's an this inaudible heaviness that when you are praying in the power of the Spirit, that he's able to search your heart, the groanings are exposed, those groanings that result because you feel helpless in this fallen world. But he knows them. And when without words, he knows what you mean. God knows our hearts. He knows where he wants to take us to where we're going. But we get tripped up because... Even when we have the word, sometimes we don't know where we're going in the prayer. And this is why, number three, when you're praying in the power of the Spirit, when you're without vision, he can see. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. The Lord knows where we need to go and where he wants us to go. He wants to guide us through the leading of his spirit. But oftentimes, we're too busy talking and we don't take enough time to listen. Now listen, we need to talk to God. But man, it's just as important to pause and listen and receive. Our family, if you don't know this by now, we love road trips. 
Uh, Elias just told us, how many states does he have now? Like 35 states, and he's 10 years old. I'm like, oh my goodness, really? So anyway, he's, he's going to knock them out. Maybe it's more than that. But we love road trips. And when he was young, um, we would, I think we were traveling out to California. You know, we're on a 5,000-mile trip or whatever it is. And we're, like, in the middle of the prairies. And he's getting bored, so he's starting to count and look at different semis. And when he would find a semi that he really would like, he would, he would yell at us. He'd say, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, turn this car around. Turn this car around. He wanted to go see the semi that drove by. Turn it around, turn it around. You are going the wrong way. You are going the wrong way. Now, here's the deal. We knew a way we were going. We knew the proper way, but he thought he knew the way. And so we're like, no, Elias, we're not turning around. And he'd be quiet for about another five minutes, and he'd see another cool truck. Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, turn this car around. You are going the wrong way. You are going the wrong way. And it was this way for the next 4,500 miles, all right? But we knew where we were going. We didn't need his help, and actually he wasn't really helping. But I thought for a second, what if we just answered his beckon, right? What if, what, if, what if we just said, okay, you lead the way? And I realized we would be driving 5,000 miles, yes, but in a 25-mile radius, right? Turn it around, turn it around. Like, literally, we'd be going circles, and we would only be going 25 miles but 5,000 miles in a loop. Isn't that how it is when we pray in our own will and our own strength, right? Do you ever feel like you're just going through the motions and going in circles? You don't know where you're going? That's because as we are speaking and we are bringing our requests is what we should be doing. We need to be listening to the will of God. He needs to search our hearts because there's things that we ask for that it is good God is saying no, right? There are things that we're asking for right now, and it is good that God's saying, wait, I am doing something in your life right now. I'm not going to bring this thing in your life right now, because if I do, I will pause and arrest the good work I'm doing in you. When we pray our will and not his, when we pray in our flesh and not in the power of the Spirit, we will go in those emotional circles. But notice verse 27, and this is so easy to miss, the whole trinity is involved in your prayers. He, notice this, verse 27, he, that is God the Father in heaven, searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit. So when the Spirit is bringing our groanings, bringing our requests, he knows those, the, the, the God the Father receives them. And we have access because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now it sounds like when you start splitting up the Trinity this way, that, oh, is there three gods? No, there's not. There are three persons, one God, right? Three persons, one God, that doesn't make sense. Again. The Trinity always blows my mind, and it shows how little we are and how big God is. When we're praying to God, we aren't praying to some small God that we can explain everything about because he's just some little, you know, we, we, we make him into like a one-celled organism sometimes, right? No, he is something our mind cannot even, words can't express, right? We can't even fathom who God is. We know in part because the revelation that God has given us about him, but no, he is much bigger than what we can ever know about him. And when we pray to him, oh, he has got your back. He has got your back. He searches your heart and knows your minds. Think about the enormity of that phrase. As much as you try, you don't know the mind of somebody else and the heart of somebody else. You'll never fully know. God does. You know that? That's where the church gets in trouble. We start judging people's minds and their intents. Why were they nice to me today? Oh, they must want something, right? Oh, that person got really exuberant in praise today. They must want to be watched, right? Right? You know what happens when we have that attitude and we start judging people like that? We miss the opportunity of receiving what God wants to do in and through us, right? If, if someone's doing something out of the wrong motive, let, they will stand before God. In fact, this was Paul's attitude. There were some people sharing the gospel in Paul's day, and some were doing it. They'd make money. Some were doing it out of uh, ill reasons, so people would have the fame or whatever. And Paul's like, here's the deal. Whether it's out of a bad heart or not, if people are getting saved, then all glory to God. Now, he's not giving carte blanche to, hey, you know, do it for yourself. You have to stand before God. The key is don't get so caught up in trying to play the part of God of saying, I know what their heart's all about. I know what they're thinking, right? You may be right. Oftentimes you'll be wrong. And guess what happens? A spirit of judgmentalism creeps into the church and grace is snuffed out. I think we all have had our taste of judgmentalism in the church before, right? And we need the grace of God, his lavish grace. Why? Not to excuse sin. No, absolutely not. But to be received in the goodness of God who conforms us into his image, right? 
God knows the heart with perfect vision and understanding. So back to the text, when we are weak, we don't know what to pray for. The Spirit helps us. He intercedes for us. He interprets our groanings for us. He leads us into his will. And this leads us to perhaps one of the most famous verses in all the scripture. Romans 8, 28. For we know, how many, how many of you is this your life first? All right, for those of you that have been in the church world before, Romans 8, 28, right? For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Right? This verse is quoted all over the place. But typically, you only hear the first part. You hear this. For we know that all things work together for the good. Right? When something bad is happening, oh, there, there, there. It, God works all things together for the good. Oh, really? Thank you, thank you. And we tell it to someone who doesn't even know God. Oh, we know that in your life, all things will work out for the good. Right? Right? Uh, someone robs, robs a store. Oh, I know you got caught by the police, but God works all the, you know, everything out for the good. Right? You get pulled over for speeding. God works all things out for the good. It's a good thing I was speeding because now I'm going to receive the good. That's not what this verse is saying. That's even, that's just a third of what this verse is saying. This is what this verse is saying. For we know that all things work together for the good. Here it is. For those who love God. You cannot love God if you don't know God. So you've got to personally know God to love God. But it doesn't stop there. For those who love God, and here it is, just because you're born again, doesn't mean you can claim this verse over all your situations in life. For those who love God, and here it is, who are called according to his purposes. Who are called according to his will. All things will work out for the good, not the good that you want, but the will of God in your life. Does that make sense? This isn't a name and claimant verse. This is a verse that really brings to life that indeed that the present sufferings of this day are not worthy to be, to be, be compared to the glory that's to be revealed. It's understanding that whatever situations we're going on in this life, there is the goodness of God that we're going to experience when we are in our glorified bodies and this life is swallowed up. And it is a verse to share with you that the Holy Spirit indeed wants to intersect your life right now and lead your life right now to pull you through the circumstances that would otherwise take you down. The Spirit brings power to your prayers, power to our promises. But you know what? Even through all this, sometimes in the chaos of life, you feel lost. But when you're praying in the power of the Spirit, when you feel lost, he says you're found. Did you know that? When you pray in the power of the Spirit, he reminds you and speaks to you identity. He speaks life over you. When you feel lost, he says you are found. Verse 29, for those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. This is a massive, massive passage. We've already just had the fire hose of God's revelation of how his spirit uh, is for you, not against you. How, his, how we're to pray in the power of the spirit, how he takes you from groaning into his glory as we talked about last week. Romans chapter 8 has been a fire hose of his revelation of goodness. And just when Paul has kind of just dropped this amazing verse where we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, he could have shut off the microphone and left the stage and people have been like, wow. But instead, it's kind of like, you know, those Apple presentations, you know, oh, here's the iPhone, right? And, oh, here's the iPad. And you're like, whoa, yeah, that's so awesome, that's so awesome. And you think the show's over and all of a sudden, Steve Jobs would pull out his pocket, got one more thing. The watch, right? That's what Paul's doing right now. He's like, oh, whoa, 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 before we go, one more thing. And this passage is enormous. They're like, whoa, I don't even know if I can handle this. That's why we're going to pick this up next week at this passage. But before you do, I want, before we uh, land this, I want to just say one thing. Notice verse 29, that before you were even born, he knew you. Before you wanted anything, anything to do with God, he was pursuing you and lavishing his grace on you. You see, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he keeps you, he gives you the spirit to be filled in, and he gives you the end game. Glory. Glory. 
the reason why the Spirit helps us and gives us revelation of the end game. It's so that we know the circumstances that you're facing in your life right now, the groanings, the difficulties, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy of the glory that's going to be revealed. So here's takeaways. God is calling his people to be people of prayer, people of prayer in the spirit. So we need to set aside time to pray. Tom talked about last week, setting your time at 10 a.m. for seven days. How'd you do? If you haven't started, start now. But I want you to make space. Space every day to talk to God, to pray until you're praying in the power of the Holy Spirit and to listen listen, listen, it is okay to what I call throw up prayers to God. You know, I'm driving and I'm just praying different things and do quick prayers. You can do that. That's fine. God loves that. He also wants time with you. He wants time with you. Set aside time to pray in the Spirit. Secondly, give over trust to the Spirit to guide you in His will. You might need a notebook when you're praying and you're listening. Just start writing. You're going to write some things down. You're going to weigh them against Scripture. Third, this is a big one, be intentional in praying together with the church family. Now we do that here. We have worship nights, which I want you to make on the 25th. But we have a, a room upstairs. It's called the fireside room. We had some people praying up there a couple weeks ago, and we didn't realize the air conditioner went out. And it was like 95 degrees. So they were like praying in this like little sweat lodge. We didn't mean to do that, so the air conditioner's fixed now. But uh, we just want to open that up. When we're here, you guys can come in and pray. Sunday morning, I would love it if you come in and pray before the service. Let's pray together. We'll keep, we'll have that room open. Because God is preparing our church to go places missionally we've never gone before. That, that's my heart. I'm putting my heart on the table here. He's preparing our church to reach people that we've like we've never had before. He's preparing our church to enjoy God like we never have before. To be equipped by God like we never have been before. So Father, we love you. And we thank you that your spirit not only helps us, but enables us to do what would otherwise be impossible. Father, I pray for anybody in this room right now that doesn't know you as Savior. Pray for anybody in this room right now that has never personally placed their faith and trust in Jesus. That they would do that right now. As we continue to pray, I just want to speak to anybody in this room. If you've never personally placed your faith and trust in Jesus, this isn't something you can assume or somebody else could do for you. You must personally ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. And this is how he forgave you of your sins. First off, he created you on purpose. But you've sinned, you've done something wrong in your life that has separated you from Almighty God. God could have left you in that condition, separated from Him, and when you would die, you would spend eternity away from Him in a place the Bible calls hell. Pretty brutal. But God, full of love and mercy, sent Jesus to this earth to stand in your place. He did that by dying on the cross, taking on all of your sin, the wrath of God in that moment, he died, was buried, but he rose from the dead three days later. Why? Because he was a perfect, sinless sacrifice, and death could not keep him. He defeated death. The Bible says, when you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. Just, just speak to him right now and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to receive you place my full faith and trust in you alone. Not my works, not anything that I do, only on you. Thank you for dying on the cross, for saving me from my sins. Thank you for raising from the dead. Help me follow you. Just pray that to him. Tell him that. If that's you, if this morning you're like, yeah, that's me. 
Today, you made it personal. You placed your faith and trust in Jesus. But no one looking around. Would you just slip up your hand? Say, that was me. That was me. That was me. As we continue to pray. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.